Good evening, guys. My name is Ernie. I'm the church plan candidate for 2021 over in North University of Northern Iowa. Yes, I do remember that place. And it is an incredible place to be. We love being part of the network. I mean, it's so amazing just to think about the things that we do here. Like, it, for some of you guys, there's such an amazing opportunity. Just for two to five years ago, take a giant adventure, go spend a lot of time with a lot of cool people and start a work of God in a new place. So wherever you go, I encourage you to go somewhere on a church plan. It, in ours, we'd love to have you. We don't know where we're going, uh, but who you're going with is more important than where you're going. I know that's true. And and uh, I'm from Louisiana. I want to share a little bit about me. My, I'm married 10 years to Laura. And if you've ever met Laura, she is an incredible person, uh, way out of my league in every way. In fact, when people meet her and they meet me, they're kind of like, how did this happen? I'm like, well, I, I found out my wife has one flaw and it's, it's judgment in men. And I exploited that completely in order for us to be in a relationship. But we have three kids. Our youngest is Gracie. She's a year and a half. Uh, she's a little princess. I love her so much. And She's so cute, but kind of a boss lady. But our second one, uh, Ella, who's four, she is the true boss lady of the house. Like everywhere she goes, there's an entourage behind her, people carrying things. Like people end up working for her, and I don't even know how. You know, like I turn around one day, we're on a walk with a bunch of people, and like everybody's holding her stuff, and somebody's holding her, and we're on a hike. It's like, no, you have to walk. She's like, no, they got me, it's cool. And then our oldest, Jackson, he's seven, he's our, like our little justice guy. And there's just something that cries out in his heart every time that he sees wrong, that he feels like he has to confront it. Like even, even like cars driving by our house too fast. So just yelled, they're speeding. And I'm like, we could hear him in different rooms. And it's like, how did you're playing and you heard that? It's unbelievable. Uh, but one thing that's been so great is as he's gotten older, we've been able to watch like the, the Marvel movies together. And I, I've never watched them. So I'm kind of watching them for the first time. I know some of you think less of me for that, um, but whatever. And, but Jackson just loves them. And I love watching them with him. Like they're amazing kid movies to watch together. Like adults are entertaining them as well. And, and as we're watching him, Jackson's just taking it all in and he loves superheroes. He wants to be a superhero. His favorite superhero is Spider-Man right now. I think it's because of their age, they could relate a little bit, you know, like he's like, well, he's closer to my age, even though he's seven, but it's a kid that's a superhero. And, and he wants to be a superhero for two real reasons. You know, one is that he wants superpowers. Like, who doesn't want superpowers? But there's also this aspect that I think is in all of us, that what we love about those movies is that the good guy wins and difference is made in the world. And Jackson loves the idea. Like, when I talk about why do you want to be a superhero? He's like, I, I love the idea. He loves the idea of, like, being a person that makes a difference in the world and helps people. And I don't think that's just him. I think that God has placed that in him. And I see it more evident in this generation that's in college than ever before. Like this generation of students wants to make a difference. Like you don't want to just be an accountant. No, you want to be an accountant that like saves the whales. Or, you know, you don't want to just be a doctor, but you want to be a doctor that helps people that can't, that can't get medical needs done. Like in every aspect, I talked to so many students and they were such activists and we desire to make an impact on our world. We desire to make a difference. We want to make our lives count. But something I realized this, that a lot of people have that ambition, but very few people do. Very few people do. Everybody wants their life to matter. Everybody wants to make a difference and an impact on the world. In fact, when we don't do that, what I see in, in, in our society is it leads to depression. People that are in depression, they, they feel like they don't have a purpose that they're not making a difference, that they don't matter. So many of us have this ambition to live a life that matters, but so few of us do. 
And if that's you, if you're here, like you have an ambition, you want to make a difference, you want to, you know, knock down the gates of hell for God, or if you want to make an impact on the world, you're in the right place tonight, because we're going to look at Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 is a passage written by Moses. It's probably the oldest psalm that's written, and, and, and scholars think that it was written probably during either Numbers 13 or Numbers 20, and those are two really significant times for Moses, because in 13, the people of God are about to enter into the promised land but they send in the spies first. And if you're familiar with the story, you know what happened. They, they, they come back and they're like, oh my goodness, those people are like giants. We're like grasshoppers, they'll crush us, we shouldn't go. And so because they don't go, God doesn't allow them to enter in to the promised land. And in 20, something even more significant happens. Moses' sister dies, Aaron dies. These were really important people in his life. And he's watching a generation die in front of him because they've been wandering around in the desert. Not only that, but it's in, it's in Numbers 20 where he strikes the rock. And because he strikes the rock in anger, God tells him that he's not going into the promised land either. Both of these times are times of great loss. And in the midst of this great loss, the twilight of his life, he records this prayer. And I think if we examine this prayer, we're gonna see four key principles and four action points that will lead us to a life, that will act, lead us to live a life that will actually matter, that will count. Open up to Psalm 90. We'll start in verse one. And it starts like this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world. For everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, are as a watch in the night. You sweep them away with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All right, principle number one with action step number one is this. God is God and you are not. Magnify him. Magnify him. When you look at this passage, it's hard not to see the contrast between us and him, that God's a big deal. I mean, it says in, in verse one, he says he's the origin of everything, meaning that he said, I'm the dwelling place of all creation before it was even created. And what does it say about us? We're hidden in it. So God is the dwelling place, we're hidden in it. It says God's eternal. He says he's everlasting to everlasting. He says a thousand years is like a night's watch to him, meaning a night's watch would be like four hours. It's like it's a short thing, but we're temporal. We're dust. He says, we're dust. And it doesn't take long for us to be dust. And dust is nothing important, but that's what we return to. And it says, God is powerful. Verse seven, it says how he brings all things to an end. Verse eight, we see that God sees everything. Even the sins we try so hard to hide, he sees them and we are laid bare before him. God's a big deal. The problem is we wanna be a big deal. I wanna be a big deal. It's a struggle for me. I don't, want to, I don't want to magnify God. There's so many times I want to magnify myself. I want to be, wow. Now, when people see me go, wow, Ernie's great. Wow, that's incredible. 
It's, it's one of the reasons why we enjoy social media so much is because we can put out little snippets of who we are and people can look at it and be like, wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's incredible. But the reality of this is if when we magnify ourselves and we make it about us, it's destructive to us and destructive to others. It's destructive to us because if others are looking at us, they're looking at the wrong thing and we're gonna let them down. It's destructive to us because well, it meant it, it, we become narcissists and we can't live up to who we're embellishing ourselves to be and it destroys us. I mean, you can just look at our celebrity culture in America. It's not, it's not the work that takes them down. What is it? It's always the success that destroys them. They can't be God. They can't be our God. But in some ways they've tried and just the weight of it is too heavy for them. What if, guys, what if for us to make a difference, it wouldn't be about us shining the light on us, but shining the light on the one who created us? See, Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that word workmanship, that the word of God says that you are his workmanship. That word in Greek is poema. And it means, in English, it means poem, that you are God's work of art. Isn't that amazing? You know what the thing about art is? It's meant to be seen. Like if you were to go to Italy, which you couldn't because of COVID right now, but if you were to go to Italy and see the statue of David, you would look at it and be in awe because of how Michelangelo just created this beautiful work of art just out of a block. He made it. And art's meant to draw our attention and praise to the artist, not to the piece of art. No one shows up to the statue of David and go, man, David did a really good job statuing today. I mean, he popped that leg out. He had that stance. I have no idea how he did that. If you saw somebody, it's like, we need to take you to the hospital. You may be delusional. It's, that's not good right there. No, we look at it and we go, man, Michelangelo is an incredibly gifted artist. See, what if our purpose is not to magnify ourselves, but the artist that created us? We all magnify something. We might as well magnify something that lasts forever. And what I mean by magnifying something is that you make something big in your life, that you could see when you magnify something in your life, everybody sees it from the outside. And we do this with a lot of different things. Like there's the sports guy, okay? I love college sports. I, when I start talking about this person, there's a little bit I'm talking about me. I'm a recovering LSU football addict. Uh, but sports guy, you, you, know, you know this guy. He wears all the gear. He, he listens to all the podcasts. He tailgates every game. He spends lots of money on his team. He only wants to talk about that thing and that team. When his team wins, he's happy. When his team loses, he's like upset for like a month. He's fully invested as if he is one of the players. He even picks apart the victories, be like, oh, well, we could have beat him by seven or we could have beat him by eight. You know that guy. That's what he's magnifying in his life. And the funny thing is when we magnify things other than Christ, we always have to embellish and make them better than what they really are because they can't live up to what we want them to be. They're not God. But when we magnify God, we don't have to embellish any of it. We magnify God not by making him bigger than he truly is, but by making him greater in our thoughts, in our affections, in our memories, and in our expectations. In a way, by magnifying God, what that means is that we perceive him accurately or more accurately in our life. One of the things I love about living in Iowa, I've been living in cities until I lived here, is you can see the stars in the sky. I remember telling my son, hey, that star in the sky 
is, 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 you know what? The sun's a star too, Jackson. And he's like, oh, really? Yeah, those are just further away. And, I, and you know, some of those stars are 100 times bigger than the sun. But yet they have no effect on us. They're distant. They have no influence in our lives. We don't even notice them until someone would bring a telescope and magnify that beautiful, humongous star that would make us go, oh, that's amazing. Guys, for so many people, Jesus is a misty figure that lived 2,000 years ago. They don't see how he's relevant. He seems distant and far and, and not significant until someone magnifies Christ in their life that they see a clear picture of it. What are you magnifying in your life? When people see you, what do they see in your life? Is it something else? Is it Christ? It's a good question to ask today, and we need to ask it today because what we see in verses nine through 12 is we don't have a lot of time. Verse nine says this, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. A year, the, the years of our lives are 70, are even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Principle number two, action point number two. Life is short, live for him. Life is short, live for him. Look at what Moses is saying here. In his prayer, he's saying, hey, if you're lucky, you get 70 years. If you're really lucky, you get 80 years. I can imagine Moses saying this at this moment as he's watching an entire generation that was faithful enough to follow God out of Egypt, but not faithful enough to enter into the promised land. How many people had he seen that were strong, young, vibrant people grow old and die in that desert? How clear was it to him the shortness of life? How many times had he thought, man, we could have been in the promised land like 30 years ago? It's right there. It's right there. We could have been there right, there, right now. It's just, it's just right across that river, but we're here. And this is where we're gonna end. And our children will enter in there. How clear was the brevity of life to him? The frailness of life, the shortness of it. Guys, my biggest fear for you is not, is that you would get to the end of your life and you would look back on your life and see, the, see the, the brevity of it and realize you spent it walking in circles in the desert, not trusting God. See, my fear for you is, is not that you're not gonna be successful at what your, your endeavor is, is that you'll be successful at doing the wrong things. And the thing that our culture will cheer you on to do which is to make much about you, to make life about you, to do the things, to do you and live a life that chases after things that you want and you desire, that you will get to the end of your life and realize that you are really successful at climbing the wrong ladder. Life is short. This became very clear to me because about a month and a half ago, my grandma passed away. And I remember spending the last couple of days with her, we drove down to spend some time with her before she did. And um, she was a believer, an amazing woman, made a major impact on her community, the people around her. 
follower of Christ. And the one thing that was so clear to me was, was, which was so important to my grandma, because she knew life was coming to an end for her, so she didn't have time to deal with frivolous things. She wasn't interested in politics or small talk. She wanted to talk about the real stuff because she saw like there's just, it's just precious, the time that you have. And I remember one of the last things she said, she's like, Ernie, keep doing what you're doing. She's like, just do the things that are really important. What was so clear to her there is that life is short and it's precious and it's too important to spend doing the wrong things. My grandma was a great woman and she died well. She died not worried about where she was going next and not fretting over what her life had been because she devoted herself to loving God, loving people and loving others around her. Moses here tells us to, teaches us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. He says, count your days, not your years. It's easy to think about the years, right? I'll go do that next year. At New Year's, this will be my resolution, but you don't do it. Think about today. Think about now. See, another way you could say this verse is he says, God, teach us to make the most of our time that we would grow in wisdom now. It's not about counting your time, but making your time count. And, and I wanna give us some handles about what does that look like to make your time count? Kind of the ABCs. The first one is this acknowledge there are no guarantees on how long you have. You may have 70 years, you may have 80 years, you may have 10 minutes, who knows how long you have, but here's the reality, is that you have an appointment with God. He hasn't told you when. And, and right now in college, you're making your plans. You're picking out your future. But don't forget this, that God has editing rights on your life. At any point, he could enter into it. The B is this, breathe. Breathe. Breathe more this year. Take life as it comes in smaller chunks. You guys are so heavy sometimes. I know like, it's, just, it's like you're carrying around a thousand pounds of weight with all the decisions in the future and you're all worried about you're gonna mess it up. Just breathe. Enjoy the people that are around you. Get in the word. You're too busy not to. Speak to God, talk to God, take a break. Take it a small break. It's, it's God's in control, he's got it. Third, commit. Commit every day to him. Tell him every day, Lord, I want you to be in control of my life. I want you to be magnified in my life. I challenge you to live in the same posture that was so common in the early church. They believed that any day Jesus is gonna come back. At any moment, their shift was gonna be over. At any second, they're gonna be in heaven and it caused them to have a light touch on this world. My grandma had a light touch on this world at the end of her life because she, she wasn't worried about all the things that we get all worked up and upset about. She knew it was truly important. Life is short, live for him. Verse 13 says this, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servant. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as for as many years as we have seen evil. Point number three, action point number three. Joy is possible, depend on him. Joy is possible, depend on him. Moses is asking for joy in proportion to the suffering they had experienced. See, remember the context, like 
They've been in the desert for 40 years. He's buried an entire generation. In the midst of that, how, how, can, how can we have joy in a situation like that? Only by depending on the Lord is joy possible. Only. In fact, it's, it's not only possible, like God insists on it. Like he commands us to rejoice in him. Like in Philippians 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice in the Lord. Like that's a command. What an odd thing to say. How, how can he say that? Because in part, this is why, in part, you are as joyful as you choose to be. You're as joyful as you choose to be. Haven't you seen that true? That there are some people, no matter what, they're just Eeyores. Like it's sunny outside, they're like, well, it may rain later. I'm probably gonna get, a, probably gonna get sweat on my shirt now. Oh no. They're just, no matter what, they're that way. And there's some people that, regardless of the circumstance, they just seem to be joyful. See, your joy has more to do with your outlook on reality than your circumstance. If your outlook is that there's a God that loves you, that's for you, that's in control, that has a future for you, and your outlook is the reality that your life is bigger than the 70 to 80 years that you spend here, if you're lucky, but the eternity afterwards, man, joy is easy. Joy is easy. It's like, as Christians, we get to live this crazy life where it's like we're watching a game that's already been played because we know how it's gonna end. So like, I remember watching games. I love watching LSU football games. And I remember for a while, I just, I had to watch them after they were played. And so I knew the score. And so when like our quarterback threw the pick in the first quarter, we're down by like 21 points a second, but I know we win at the end. It didn't bother me that much. Why? Because I knew the final score. As believers, we know the final score. We know what's gonna happen. We know that God's gonna win in the end and we know that we're gonna win in the end. You know, there's this other... Michelangelo painting story that I love as well about him where he was painting the 16th chapel. And when he was painting the ceiling, he was like sleeping on the scaffolding. And he spent so much time up there that when he finally came down, his head was kind of stuck up like this. And it hurt for him to put his head down. I think many of us have the opposite problem, that our head is down here all the time. And we're looking at all the problems that we see and it's hard for us to look up and have the perspective and see God where he is because it just hurts to look up because we're so busy down here. Guys, look up. Look up for your hope, not down. So here comes the last one. Verse 16 and 17 says, let your work be shown to your servant and let your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us, and yes, establish the work of our hands. Point number four, there's a plan, work with him. There's a plan, work with him. Look at what Moses is saying in verses 16 and 17. He's talking about the work of God in verse 16, and he's talking about their work in verse 17. And he's saying, hey, let our work be your work. If you want your life to count, you want to make a difference, you want to make sure you're not wasting your time, here's the secret. Make your work his work. And I'm not talking about your vocation. Wherever God's placed you, whatever he has done, wherever he's placed you at, whatever passion he's given you, God's put you there for a reason to make a difference in that place. You can work for him right there in that moment. In fact, one of my mentors always told me this. He goes, Ernie, you know how if God's working in a person's life, he puts a believer right next to him because God uses people to make a difference in other people's lives. 
And that's the work that you have. Who's around you? What's the work that God's calling you to in this moment? And work is good. You ever notice that when some people retire, they deteriorate really quickly? Like they may have worked into old age. They enjoyed their work. They were ambitious. They were spry. They were excited. And then the moment after a couple of weeks of just being retired, it looked like they aged like 10 years. Why is that? I think it's this. For many of them, they put their purpose into doing whatever they were doing. And now that they're not doing that anymore, they don't have purpose. They feel like they've lost their meaning. See, it wasn't, it wasn't the work that killed them. It was the idleness. It was a lack of purpose. Guys, we were made to work alongside God. Isn't what I said in Ephesians 2, 10, you're workmanship, prepared to do good works that he's prepared beforehand for you. Work with God. So you wanna have a life that matters, guys? Realize this, magnify God, live for him, depend on him, work with him. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for all the things you've said and done. Thank you for Psalm 90, that we get to look at this picture of who you are and how you're working. God, I just ask for these men and women watching this now, uh, that you would reveal to them the places that they are making a big deal out of things that aren't big. And Lord, that you would give them a perspective, that they would look up more than they would look down, that they would care about your voice more than the other voices. And God, that you would transform them. And God, their places and the people around them would be transformed because of the work you're doing in them. We love you, Jesus. We trust you. We praise you. Amen.